morning, we're beginning a new study on a topic that um, I think will bring us right through into uh, the middle part of December. What do you want in life is our theme. What do you want in life? A lot of people not sure what they really are looking for in life. Some people are pursuing all kinds of things, better job, um, more income, more friends, better grades, health. I found out that if it tastes good, it's no good for you. Don't you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> this week will be a telling week for our country, and I want to encourage you to be a person of prayer and total confidence that um, God's got his hand on our country. And um, America, as many of you know, is the leading source of gospel truth to the ends of the earth. There's no country like America in showing kindness and mercy to people who are broken and bleeding all around the world. Nations have been liberated and loosed from tyranny by America, and we are sending the gospel. And it's a very important thing that we pray for America. And it's likely that there will be civil disobedience and riots in these next few days following the election. I want you to just be encouraged in the Lord. Be thankful for who is with you, and he's going to go before us. In my view, there's never been a better day to share the truth of God's mercy and his love than now. So let's go forth trusting him. So I'm asking you about hope this morning. Hope is my topic. I want hope. Looking into the faces of children and that call this church their home and young people, that go, I want to go to school. I'm tired of being locked in. Parents that want their kids to sit in the, around tables with their teachers and so forth and grow together and have recess together and enjoy things that, that inspire heightened levels of learning. There's a lot of people that are wondering about hope today. Our theme is hope. What do you want in life? Um, you know, people are wrapped up pretty tight, so I want to just share with you. There was a guy at the end of the second service. He said, I wait for them for humor in the morning. He said, that's the most important thing. I said, nah, nah, the humor is not important. It just helps people kind of loosen up a little bit. I want to share with you, how many of you like flying? Some of you do. Um, we had to give people, loved ones, some pills to get them here from, uh, from the East Coast so that they wouldn't be sick. I don't, thankfully, I don't have that problem. But, you know, flying is an incredible opportunity. And Qantas Airlines is one of the world's most renowned airlines, primarily London and uh, Australia, New Zealand, out of Los Angeles and so forth, and uh, they fly a lot of those routes. And uh, they've never had a major accident. It's quite an amazing airline. But they're a little bit twisted in their thinking. They have a little unusual sense of humor. At the end of each flight, pilots are required to fill out a form that's called a gripe sheet, where the pilot says, this is what's wrong with the, with the flight or with the, with the in the cockpit, and I, this needs to be fixed before the next guy or the next lady flies this plane to the next destination. And then the mechanics read the, the need for change, and they write their comments accordingly. I want to share some of these with you this morning. Um, here's the first one. Left in, this is from the pilot this, this, describing the, the problem. Left inside main tire almost needs replacement. So the service people said at the end of the day, 
almost replaced left inside main tire. Here's another one. Something's loose in the cockpit. The service people finished up and said, something tightened in the cockpit. Dead bugs on the windshield. The service people said, live bugs are on back order. <laughs> Some of you are wrapped real tight this morning. It'll help you if you just laugh with me. Number three engine is missing. They didn't necessarily mean that it was not there. It's just not working right. So the service people said, engine found on right wing after brief search. Aircraft handles funny, the service people said. Aircraft warned to straighten up, fly right, and be serious. <laughs> Mouse found in cockpit, the service people said. Cat installed. <laughs> Rich, that's for you, buddy, our cat lover. And finally, finally. You're glad we're at the end. Noise coming from under instrument panel. Sounds like a midget pounding on something with a hammer. <laughs> Service people took hammer away from the midget. <laughs> All right, so are you ready to go to the Word this morning? Praise God. Peter Drucker, the leading name in management for many years in our country, died in 2005 at 95 years of age. In an interview, he said these words, people my age no longer pray for a long life. They pray for an easy death, close quote. You see, people always want something. Everyone's got some kind of a goal. If I was to ask you, what does hope mean to you? How would you respond? What does hope mean to you? Many people would think back to a time when hope had captured your heart about something getting ready, maybe a Christmas gathering or loved ones coming or some, some graduation event or some kind of personal goal that you had felt like you were close to achieving, and those hopes dissolved into disappointment. Hope for many has a ring of uncertainty to it. Seventy-some percent of African-American young men in our country are don't come home to a father in their house. Dad's gone. 50% of marriages in our country um, have met with divorce. Can you imagine the disappointment that people face and questions they have? Schools not opening, questions about kids walking and living in a spirit of depression is very real here in, where, in this region where we live. Lingering weakness or disease that people face can make a person wonder, is there anything to hope for in light of my circumstances? When you and I think about hope this morning, there's something very wrong with the perspective that says there's no hope. Stay hopeful. Stay a person who's confident. Our text for this morning's service is Romans 5.5. I hope you'll remember it. Hope does not put us to shame. The King James Version says, hope does not disappoint us. Why? How can you say that? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God says, hope won't disappoint you. I like that. Based upon 
the declaration of the fact that God loves you and he's with you and he's for you, I want to share three important perspectives about hope this morning. First of all, hope is necessary for your faith to work. Without hope, faith is nothing to focus on. So it is in that inner picture that the Holy Spirit paints within us that's got to be based upon what the Word of God says. I can't have faith in what does the government say or what does the governor of our state say or what does the newspaper say or what does the job environment look like for me. I've got to have faith in what God says about the present and the future. Now, the opposite of having hope is despair. Despair means you believe the lies of the devil, that it's only going to get worse, that there's no good thing on the horizon for you. Now, the Bible contains the only workable blueprint for your life. Bonnie and I, uh, a number of years ago, before we moved here, we had built a home in Baltimore on the north side of, our, of the city of Baltimore, and we had a Blueprints. That's not the house, by the way. You, you people are talking. I didn't know you were going to build a house. It's just a picture. Anyway, um, so we built this house, but the blueprints were essential to know how to build. The builders couldn't build without the blueprints. And, and you understand that you're building something with your life today, with however you dream of your present and your future. The Word of God is your guide, your owner's manual. And I want to remind you, the Word of God is not a rules manual, it's a success manual. God tells you how valuable you are. The book of Ephesians, for instance, says before the world was created, God saw you and had plans for your life and had a goal for your life. I hope you're learning to reach out and say, God, what is it that you put me here for? I hope you're walking in that now. If you're not, listen carefully to the Word of God this morning. You know, if you have gas in your car, the engine will run. If you have no gas in your car, it won't run. And uh, without the gas, the car can't work. And the Word of God is just as essential for your heart and your personal life as gas is for a car. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, you know the scripture quite well, I'm sure. Faith is, con this is the new international version. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is always looking for something that you can't see with your human eye today. What do you see? What is your hope focus on today? Hope must be present for your faith to work. If hope is not present, your faith has nothing to work on. But the reverse is also true. Hope cannot produce anything without faith. So hope is our fuel. It's a good thing. You and I should live every day hopeful and, and believing that God's got good things ahead for us today. Now, several aspects of this point I want to highlight. First of all, God's word gave hope to a man named Abraham. Here's a man that God had promised, you're going to be the father of many nations. In fact, his name was Abram, and God changed it to what? To Abraham. Abraham, if you look to the Hebrew definition of what that, it means father of many nations. So when God looks at a man like Abraham, he says, hey, Abraham, let's sit and talk for a minute. And God visited with him quite frequently. The Bible makes it clear in the Old Testament. 
So God comes up and says, uh, hey, Father of many nations, come on over here. Let's talk and have some coffee together. Well, God, I wish you wouldn't talk to me that way. I don't have any kids. And I'm up in years now. How in the world am I going to have kids? And God tells us in his word about the story that I think is most important as we try and understand hope a little better. In Romans 4, verse 17, God says, as it is written, he's ta- Paul is saying historically when God spoke to Abraham, as it is written, or literally as it stands written, Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. Now Paul says, Abraham was our father in the sight of God. He's our spiritual father. He's the father of many nations. Remember the Abrahamic covenant that those that become people of faith are literally grafted in to the family of God that Abraham was the father of. Now notice, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, in other words, human hope was said the situation is impossible. And you may be looking at an impo- seemingly impossible situation in your for- situation in your life this morning. But Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now let us note in this classic, very descriptive story about a hopeless human problem, but despite what Abraham saw with his human eyes, he believed what God said, and it turned everything around. He's going to be the father of many nations, and so it would be, and so it was. The problem was he's 100 years old almost, and his wife is now 90. There's not going to be any hope of this happening, you would say. Yet Abraham believed in hope, and he agreed with God. What are you saying to God about what he says about you? Or you go, oh, I don't pay that much attention to what God's talking to me about. It's, I got my mind on so many things. Yeah, that's what the problem is with most people. Diverted attention on so many things. This is what you and I do when we confess the word. We're literally agreeing with what God says about us. And when your situation looks hopeless, go to the word. Not just then, but be a, be a familiar person in the word of God. I was reading this morning in Proverbs chapter 1, because today's the first day of the month. You, ha- you read a proverb every day. I hope you're doing that. But the 26th verse says, I called and I, rec- I called to turn your attention to me. I rebuked you. And if you listen, I would pour my spirit upon you. Verse 26. I believe God's doing that for anyone who's listening. I'm calling. If you'll just listen to me, I'll pour my spirit on you. If you just listen to what I want to say to you. God's word gave hope to Abraham. But I want to remind you that hope is also a goal setter. It's a goal setter. It focuses on our faith as the goal. Let me illustrate it like this. When you get home from church today, um, you'll probably say, someone's going to say, hey, it's too chilly in the house. So you'll go to the thermostat, and you're going to adjust the thermostat to the temperature desired, right? Now, hope is like the thermostat. 
It is not what heats the house. Faith is what empowers us personally, not the thermostat. But the thermostat makes a demand on the, on the heating device and says, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Turns the thermostat to the desired temperature, and in a matter of minutes, hopefully, you'll have the temperature you desire in your house. Faith and hope have to work together. I hope you see that. Hope is a substance. Hope is, I'm sorry, is not a substance, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we can say faith and hope are partners. Amen. Did you ever hear someone say, don't get your hopes up? People are saying that, you know, during election time, during the baseball season, Tampa Bay, don't get your hopes up. Los Angeles is going to steamroll you in the end, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> They've had an experience with natural hope and it came up empty. So let's go back to Abraham for a moment. In Romans 4, verse 19, look what happened. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He's making a statement. She couldn't have children anymore. It's not going to happen. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened. See that? Strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, when God tells you he's going to restore a relationship, when he tells you he's going to heal your child, when he tells you he's going to deliver a loved one from depression, you need to believe and be fully persuaded that what God said he's able to do. So say that with me, that last part. Do we still have that? Let's go back to that verse 20, 21. Being fully persuaded. Come on, say it with me. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Thank you, Lord. I am fully persuaded that you are able. You need to say that about things that pertain to your family, your situation. God's promise was at the center of his faith, his hope, and his persuasion. The Bible says Abraham was fully persuaded. That's pretty serious. He wasn't letting any doubt in. He wasn't letting any fear in. He was fully persuaded. And you can be too. The trouble is, most of us have more interest in investing our time in Facebook and finding who's got the new puppy, who's got the new pooch, who's got the new car, who's got the new poem, who's got the new... and all and all. I, I personally can't spend a lot of time in there because it's just, I mean, it's, it's a huge waste of time for me personally. I got more, you know, I don't have time. But I'm happy to see so many people that are talking about their new pet, their new, you know, their new do and their, all the new haircut. And, isn't it amazing? We have more interest and more time spent on that than we do on the promises of God. Abraham was fully persuaded in what God said. And it shut, it shut every doubt and every fear out of his heart. We had better do the same. That went over really good for about six people here. <laughs> you want strength and hope to be developed? 
understand what God says about your situation and spend less time figuring out who's taking their dog for a walk today or who got a new puppy or a new, a new kitty. I tried to get you a kitty this morning. It didn't work too good. I want to keep looking for you, Rich. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Hope provides an anchor like a, like a ship in a storm. The waves are, are turbulent. The wind is, is trying to knock your walls down. What do you do? Hope is like an anchor. Amen. Now, I say to you, I, re- I repeat, hope is necessary for your faith to work. I only have three points. Number two, Christ-filled believers are people of hope. A lot of times we talk about what it means to serve Jesus, and we've never painted the picture for people to know what a Christ follower acts like, thinks like, and lives like. Could you please note with me that we're hopeful because we have a future. People of God should be the happiest people around. They should be the most hopeful people around. Amen. Hope is an implication of expectation, of confidence, of refuge and trust. We know that we are safe in the hand of God. I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. I have some strong personal feelings about what's going to happen. I feel like it's going to be an avalanche, you know. But anyway, that has nothing to do with it. But all I could tell you is this. Whatever happens on Tuesday, if I'm happy personally or not happy personally with the outcome, I am still going to serve Jesus, and he is still Lord, and I'm walking with him, and I'm going to walk in hope about, this, about the day we live in and know that he is with us and for us. Amen. We are hopeful because we have a future. In Psalm 146, verse 5, it says, The people of God, they tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your good deed, your great deeds. We live in a world where God wants to show his glory. I was visiting with Cap Marks, uh, who was here in the early service this morning, our retired district superintendent. He and Laverne have come here. They are lifelong members of our church. And he heard the message that I preached, the same same message I'm preaching to you here. He said, I just want to tell you something that happened. He said, there was a lady in our church when I was pastoring in another city, and he said she was near death. She was in, in and out of a coma, laying in a, in the, in a gurney. And, and I was sitting there talking to a person that there was no response, ministering to her the word of the Lord and praying for her. And after I finished, I walked out the door and the nurse followed me to the elevator. And she said, uh, Pastor Marks, there's, there, we're not offering any hope to this family. So, you know, just kind of, don't rev their hopes up because we, there's, no, there's no hope and t- gave the reasons why medically. He said, well, God is bigger than all of the shortages and, and, and the, re- the, the uh, excuses and all of the details. God is bigger than all of that. So he said a number of weeks went by and when the door opened one Sunday in the middle of the service and the lady that was supposed to be dead walked into the service and, and came and sat down and worshiped the Lord with them. <laughs> He said it kind of turned things upside down in that town. So I just want to remind you, we are people that rejoice in hope because we have a future. Psalm 146, verse 6 says, He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. 
He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts those that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And I go, "Mm, yes, sir, I like that. And the Lord reigns forever, O God, O Zion, for all generations. God says you've got a bright future because he's going to take care of you. So why are we walking like, oh, God, what's ahead? Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? We're not walking like that. We're not thinking like that because we're fully persuaded that what God promised he is able to perform. Praise God. Now, notice the hope of salvation is now in real time. I grew up in an era where they told you that, you know, one day everything's going to be happy, but now you just have to sit there and be happy, but you can't be happy because you don't have anything, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything, because Christian people don't ever do anything, you know, on and on. I could go into all the legalisms that, praise God. After a few more counseling sessions, I should be pretty good about all that, but anyway. (laughs) What does this mean about today? There's only one faith in the whole world that gives you assurance about what happens if you die. You talk to a Mormon today and find out what's going to happen when you die. They go, well, if we baptize you in the temple and we, your family's paid up, you know, and we're going to make, try and talk to people about and we maybe get you into paradise with your family. You talk to a Jehovah's Witness and they go, well, we don't know. You know, we just don't know because the blood, you know, we don't believe in the blood of Jesus that it washes sin away. Are you serious? You talk to a follower of Islam that I love to, I love to communicate with, Bonnie and I, with, with uh, followers of Islam. Say, uh, what's going to happen? You know, what kind of assurance do you have about tomorrow, about anything happening to you? I mean, when you die, what, what's, oh, well, only Allah knows. Allah knows. I said, how would you like to know today where you're going? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I'm thankful that there's a no-so salvation today. Glory to God. Paul and Silas are in the middle of the jail. They don't deserve to be there. What do they do? They're preaching the gospel. They're healing the sick. They're in prison. They're in the slammer. At midnight hour, Acts 16, you can read it. They're singing. Glory to Jesus, hallelujah, great is thy faithfulness. Did they sing that back then? I don't know. We'll have to ask Bill Gallagher if that was a hymn that they sang. (laughs) Anyway, they were singing. The Bible says God heard them singing. And when he heard them singing, he sent an earthquake. You study history, you'll find out that there is no evidence that an earthquake hit anything more than the jailhouse that day. But the Bible says an earthquake hit the jailhouse and everyone's cell was thrown open and the things on the the shackles on their hands fell off and they were all free. And so the jailer, you know, the law was if you're the jailer and your inmates escape, you better take your sword and kill yourself right now because if the Romans get you, they're going to fillet you. That's not happy time. So the jailer takes his sword out and says, I'm going to kill myself right now. And Paul says, don't do that. We're all here. And the jailer goes, whoa, would you come to my house? So the J- Paul and Silas, it's early in the morning. It's probably 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning now because the midnight hours when the earthquake hit. And so they go in, they have 
they have breakfast together. He cooks and the whole family is there. And he leads all of them to faith in Christ and they're all baptized in the next few minutes. A revival strikes uh, uh, Philippi and a church is planted because of two men in prison decided to sing. They had hope in a God who's listening all the time. And they got out of there and Jesus is Lord even in the prison cell. Glory to God. So, that's a no-so salvation. <clears throat> now, the, a girl told me, a young lady in the church, a young mother told me after the second service, she said, the longer you talked about hope in that service, the spirit of heaviness lifted off the congregation and people got it after a few minutes. So I think we're almost at that point where the spirit of heaviness is lifting off of people. And I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus cares about your demeanor. He cares about your burden. He cares about your gloominess. He cares about your fear. Praise God. Be happy in the Lord in the power of his might. Now notice with me, the hope of salvation is for the life to come as well. If you talk to most Americans that love Jesus, they're not talking about too much about heaven today. Do you know why? It's pretty good down here. You push a button and the lights come on. You push another button and ice cubes come out of a, of a cold box. You push another thing and, and your food comes out. It's, you push another button and, and the TV comes on. You can watch 500 different channels. You can watch your favorite sporting. You, you know, who wants, to, who wants to leave this place? But I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that there is this life here is preparation for eternity. And this life is short. And if all you're living for is now, you'll be real disappointed. But we are living for heaven today. Paul said, for me to live is, and to die is, and we need to keep that ever in our heart. Jesus, if you come before lunch today, I want to go to be with you. I don't want anything between us. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm almost there. Just be, just be happy. Just, verse Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep. And he's not talking about people that dozed off in the service. I'm scanning the audience. We had a couple victims in the early service. When I got to this point, it was like the bells went off. Someone said, wake up, Joe, he's talking about you. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep, those who've died. For the Lord himself, I want to just focus for a moment, verse 16. He's not sending a messenger. He's not sending an ambassador. He has such regard for the people of God the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We buried my father-in-law since we've been here in this city. We, bought, we buried my mother, my father, and a precious three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. I am so anxious to see them all again. 
as well as hundreds that we have buried from this church that have gone to Jesus at the end of their journey. The Lord himself will come down and the dead in Christ, he's honoring them who have loved him. They're coming up first. You've got loved ones that are included in this. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. You go, the Packers are playing today in just a few minutes, and, you know, I'm really excited. That was free. That was no charge for that. <laughs> Pastor Murray is a Packer fan. Please, please, don't, don't throw anything, please. We love everybody, right? Even the cheeseheads. It's hard for me to say it. But we love the cheeseheads. Bonnie and I paid our taxes this week. Gulp. And on the other side, I don't have to pay for any more Chemeketa buses or school. Don't have to pay for public school or anything going on. You know, that's all in your, what you pay for. You don't have to pay for... How many of you have been to the city library lately? But it's in your taxes. You pay every... You pay, you know, for the, for the library. I'm not faulting the library. I've spent a lot of good hours in libraries, but not, not in the last 25 years. But on the other side, you're not paying... It's streets of gold. There's no taxes. There's no hospitals. There's nobody getting buried. There's nobody with gas mask on. There's nobody with COVID. Woo, glory to God. Think about it. We have a hope of salvation. And finally, finally, the revelation of divine hope comes by the Holy Spirit. How can a person develop their, their hope in the, day, in the midst of days like this? Paul tells the answer. This passage is really invigorating. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Whew. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The, spirit. the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? I don't know what you're thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking. Except the Holy Spirit reveals to me what you're thinking. Or the spirit reveals to you what I'm thinking. You see? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I have to have more energy invested in what does he think, what does he want, what does he see, instead of what do I think, what do I want, and what do I see. You can't know what God desires by your smell, your taste, your touch, hearing. He reveals it to your spirit. That's the most important part of you, what's inside of you, your spirit. God works through the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with your spirit. He confirms to your spirit what's in his spirit. And you go, now I know how to live. Now I know how to handle pressure. Now I know how to think the right thoughts instead of stinking thinking. 
Sometimes his revealed spirit, spiritual insight will bypass your brain and you'll go, I didn't get that. I don't really understand that fully. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. Notice what he says. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the heart. So your human spirit is like a light bulb. illuminating to you the will of God. So I can't get discouraged and depressed about Biden is up 27 points in Pennsylvania. Suburban women hate, you know, on and on. Are you serious? I'm going to get revved up about this stuff like that? I want to say, if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm going to focus on what he's... I need to, I need to still myself... And so do you. If you're going to be a person of hope, get alone with the king. Sit in his presence and let him talk to you. How will he talk to you? Someone tell me. Through his word. Happy is the man who daily watches for me. God speaks to, his, to us through his word. Quote his word. Read his promise. Finally. Did I say finally already? I'm there. I'm, I'm really there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what we have received, verse 12, is not the spirit of this world. The spirit of this world is rage, hatred, misunderstanding, but the spirit is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. We're not talking what the world speaks. We're talking what God speaks. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. That nurse sitting there listening to Cap Mark said, this is foolish what you're doing, giving hope to a comatose woman. That was not the thoughts of the Spirit that day. You cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So I say today, biblical hope is a choice you have to make. I covet what God says. I covet what he thinks. I read at the Johns Hopkins University Medical Center, they, they've come up with a new study that's very interesting. Studies have rated the hopefulness of surgery patients and then tracked recovery and survival rates for over five to ten years. Those who chose hope before they went into surgery increased their likelihood of survival up to 300%. Hope is a force. That's why God says in Jeremiah 29, I know you know the scripture, for I know the plans I have for you, God says. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I was intrigued by a study on stress that was done by the Israelis. Two groups of soldiers... They were each on a 30-mile hike. 
One group was told how long the journey would be. The other group was not told anything, just we're marching. They assured the one group that the march would end at a certain point, but kept the other group in the dark. Although both groups marched an identical distance, those who didn't know how long they would march registered a much higher level of stress. Why? They had no hope, no tangible assurance that the forced march would end. They felt helpless, wondering when or if they could ever rest. Hope points to the light at the end of the tunnel and gives us assurance that God's going to help us. It makes the tunnel endurable, but also makes us aware that it's not going to be this way forever. There's one who's coming who rules and reigns. And the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Let your hopes be in him, in his word. What do you want in life? A lot of things we could ask for. We want more money, we want more. I say I want hope, because hope is essential as it's joined with faith. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I thank you for this great privilege you've given me to share your eternal word with these people. People that are here watching live in this auditorium or in other venues here on the campus or those who are watching. What an honor to tell them that there is hope in you. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you're the one who lifts loads and burdens. You're the one who sets captive hearts free. Father, in these closing moments, I ask you to speak to hearts today. I ask you to just draw people to your side. Coming to church on Sunday doesn't save you. Coming to church to hear about God is good, but really we want people to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. We want people to walk in hope. Hope is tied to Jesus and his word. You may have come today and away from Jesus, and really what's going on is you're you got more burdens you can ever be even listed off because there's just such a load you're carrying. And if the truth was told and Jesus were to come right now, there's, you have no assurance that you're going to heaven. I want to tell you, eternity is a long time. Only those that know Jesus and love him are going to be with him. Maybe you've come and you'd like someone to pray with you today. You'd like to make sure that your heart is right with God. All over this place, I'm just going to ask you to indicate. Say, Pastor, I don't want to leave this place away from Jesus. I'm going to raise my hand and say, I want you, Christ, to be my Lord. You're raising your hand. You're lifting your hand to say, I need Jesus. I see your hand. Thank you. Yes, I see some over here. 
in a moment I'm going to pray with you and I want to invite you as soon as we finish a prayer for you guys to exit and go right through that door there we have some people waiting to give you a Bible to give you some counsel to pray with you to help you and others who are in the audience you'd like to be a part of that I invite you to do that but we're, first we're going to pray the Bible tells us to confess Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer from your heart out loud say it like this dear Jesus thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for me I ask you to forgive me of my sin come into my heart as my Lord and Savior and from this morning I'm going to love you and serve you all the days of my life I confess I'm a new creature in Christ thank you Jesus